Hello, this is Roy Lilly. Agriculture, construction, forestry, fishing, what do they have in common? Out working in the fresh air, highly regulated, what could possibly go wrong? Well, measured as a percentage of 100,000 workers, they carry the highest risk of injury and death. What about Microsoft, Zipcar, Google and FedEx? Well, they were all startup companies that were rated as high risk, but paid off. They threw caution to the wind and just went for it. They weren't overly concerned with risk. Now they've all migrated from entrepreneurial to corporate, they're much more risk averse. The principles of risk management are well-worn territory. So, SOW, scope of work, a clear and detailed understanding of what the work is, answering the what-if questions. Brutal honesty about the, what the risks could be, all of them. Ask the people doing the work now, or allied work, they'll know best. Consider budget reality, customer or client requirements, preferences, attitude. Contracts with third parties, will they deliver? Documentation and data sets for analysis. The people and skills, schedule, timetables and a reality check. Technology, will it work? Weather and its impact on demand. If the idea takes off, how ready are you to cope with demand and expansion? Rate the risk likelihood. Most people underestimate blockers and stoppers. Risk response, plow on regardless or stop and recalibrate or call a halt. Review, review and review what time scale, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or all of them. Among the high-risk UK businesses are construction, transport, warehousing, and healthcare. Yes, healthcare that spends so much of its time focusing on safety and regulation is a high-risk business. A quick look at NHS England's monthly reporting and learning systems data, which I linked to, and you have got to have a look at, believe you me, might emphasise the point. Healthcare is safety critical, and as much as the sharp end people do their best, the number of incidents is staggering and nowhere near reassuring. Quite how the learning is cascaded across the service is a mystery to me. It's impossible to spot trends as the data is uploaded in batches well after the incident to meet cut-off dates, and at first sight the data is worthless, and NHS England appears to be struggling to introduce a new system, and I link to details about that. The business of business is the avoidance of risk, just as it should be for the NHS. Just as it's true, the business of everyday healthcare is risky, so adding to the risks should not be the business of the NHS, which leads me to the scramble to park your granny in a virtual ward, otherwise known as home alone with a phone and various bits of kit, a virtual ward. Guidance, as such as it is, and I link to it, and you'll have a look, you can decide for yourself. It says a senior clinical decision maker should decide whether the person is admitted to a virtual ward. This should be based on the same level of clinical assessment and decision making as if the patient were being admitted to a hospital bed. Patently, it is not the same. More from the guidance, the patient and or carer must consent to admission with a full awareness of the benefits and risk. Well, how can a patient be expected to acquiesce in the risk of a regime that is little more than an experiment in care shifting? 
The central tenet of virtual care is that people are safer in their own home, in their own bed. Well, this may be true, it may not be. Let's be honest with ourselves. We're only weaving this narrative because the NHS doesn't have enough beds and recently discovered to have 3,000 fewer than it thought it had. To quote from the Paywall Times three days ago, quote, the number of hospital beds in England has fallen by almost 3,000. Beds, of course, are useless without people, principally nurses, to look after the person in the bed. Nurse recruitment has fallen by 17% and there are presently over 40 or it's nearly 47,000 vacancies. Beds are easy to acquire, people are not. As far as I know, virtual wards that, obvious, that obviously require high levels of skill and experience to be safe have not been the subject of a workforce impact assessment. Already, I'm hearing reports of community and district nurse workloads escalating as virtual ward patients run into trouble. Virtual wards would not be a thing if we had the real thing. They've been dropped like a bomb into the system, their impact ricocheting around the services compounding risk. Such is the momentum and pressure from the centre for virtual care, it's a brave voice dealing with the daily reality of care that will say stop and think. Thanks for listening, this has been Roy Lilly and I hope we'll speak again real soon. Bye -bye.